You're listening to the GDPR Weekly Show with your host, Keith Budden. Welcome to episode 57 of the GDPR Weekly Show. And as regular listeners will know, I like to begin with a shout out to our new listeners. And so this week, a big shout out to our new listeners in London, Birmingham, Northampton, Portsmouth, Sheffield, Derby, Durham, Darlington, Watford, Cardiff, Reading, Newcastle-upon-Tyne, Guildford, Bristol, Hemel Hempstead, Leeds, Ipswich, Havant and Chelmsford, all in the UK. And new listeners in Leinster, County Wicklow and County Meath in Ireland, in Bouches-de-Rhône and in Paris in France, in Barcelona in Spain, in Brussels and in the Flemish Brabant in Belgium, in Amsterdam, Rotterdam and Gelderland in the Netherlands, in Copenhagen and Hoverstaden in Denmark, in Stockholm in Sweden, in Hordaland and Oslo in Norway, in Helsinki in Finland, in Munich, Nuremberg, Dusseldorf, Cologne, Hamburg, in all in Germany, in Zurich, Basel and Valais in Switzerland, in Vienna and Lower Austria in Austria, in Milan and Rome in Italy, in Budapest in Hungary, in Bratislavski in Slovakia, in Armenia, the first listeners in Armenia, so a big welcome to you, in Thessaloniki in Greece, in Istanbul in Turkey, in Tel Aviv and Hamakaz in Israel, in Nairobi in Kenya, in Comus in Namibia, in Cape Town in South Africa, in Tamil Nadu and Kerala in India, in Colombo in Sri Lanka, in Manila in the Philippines, in Singapore and in Hong Kong, in Tokyo in Japan, in Sydney and Melbourne in Australia, in Brasilia, Sao Paulo and Rio de Janeiro in Brazil, in Mexico City in Mexico, in Kingston, Jamaica, in Quebec, in Canada, and then in the USA, we have news to speak in Monterey, San Francisco, Dallas, Atlanta, New York, Portland, Boston, Los Angeles, Washington DC, Minneapolis, Houston, San Diego, Jacksonville, Phoenix, Kalamazoo, Seattle, Miami, Fort Lauderdale, San Antonio, Rochester, Denver, Chicago, Cincinnati and Greensboro. So a big shout out to you all. Great to have you all listening along. And of course a big shout out as always to all my regular listeners who I know listen every week to catch up on the latest news in the world of GDPR and it's great to have you along. I really appreciate everyone taking 30 minutes or so out their week to catch up on the latest GDPR news via the GDPR weekly show. And I hope that you find the show useful and entertaining and informative. As always, if you have any comments on the show or any ideas for articles you'd like to see included in the show, or indeed anyone you'd like me to interview for the show, or perhaps even for me to interview you for the show, please just drop me a line at podcasts at insurety.co.uk, that's E-N-S-U-R-E-T-Y dot co.uk, or go to the www.insurity.co.uk website, go to the podcast page, and you can find all our previous podcasts there, plus details on how to contact us. 
So, without further ado, in a few moments I'll be telling you what's coming up in this week's edition of the GDPR Weekly Show. Check us out on Facebook. So, coming up in this week's episode of the GDPR Weekly Show, we have news that BA have announced a 17-week period under which those affected can claim potential damages for the BA data breach which took place last year and so we have details on that and how to make your claim. Then we have news of a large data breach at cosmetics firm Yves Rocher. Then we have an article asking is Dominic Cummings asking gov.uk to become big brother? We then have an example from Manchester of a school being overzealous in their application of GDPR. We then have details of privacy campaigner Matt Strems filing complaints against eight tech giants in the EU for alleged failures to comply with GDPR rules for subject access requests. And we then look at when are damages payable under GDPR. And so, a real mixed bag for you this week in the GDPR Weekly Show, which I hope you find useful and informative. You're listening to the GDPR Weekly Show with your host, Keith Budden. We begin this week with an update on the British Airways data breach. Regular listeners will know that several weeks ago now, the ICO threatened... uh, British Airways with a fine of £183 million for its part in a data breach which occurred earlier last year. And whilst that is still under legal consideration, British Airways themselves have announced that they are going to allow a period of 17 weeks from now for people who believe they may have been affected by the data breach to submit a claim for compensation. Now, you can follow the direct route if you want and contact British Airways directly or you may wish to join part of a class action which is being formed by a company called SPG Law who are one of the UK's leading solicitors and barristers with the financial expertise and resource of American class action lawyers. They say they are passionate about winning the case and are determined to hold British Airways to account. And they point out that in the USA, their sister firm, Sanders Phillips Grossman, has already won over $1 billion of compensation for consumers in similar cases. Now, At this point, it's important for us as the GDPR Weekly Show to make clear that we have no financial or any other connection with SPG Law and we are merely providing this details of the site that they are launching to launch their class action as a resource to our listeners. So if you believe you may have been affected by the British Airways data breach, then the website to visit to see whether you'd like to take part in the class action with SPG Law can be found at www.badatabreach, that's all one word, badatabreach.com. And there you will find details of how to claim, the reasons that you might be able to claim, the team who will be performing the class action, 
and a very useful frequently asked questions page. So, as I say, just include if you feel you may have been a victim of the BA data breach and you'd like to take part in class action to recover damages, then please go to www.badatabreach.com and the site will tell you from there what to do. Should there be updates on the class action to be brought by SPG Law against British Airways, we will, of course, keep you updated in future episodes of the GDPR Weekly Show. And I'm hopeful that we will get an interview with someone from SPG Law in a upcoming episode of the GDPR Weekly Show. You're listening to the GDPR Weekly Show with your host, Keith Budden. News broke this week of a major data breach at international cosmetics brand Yves Rocher, who found itself caught in a third-party data exposure incident, which potentially has leaked the personal information of millions of customers. The data breach comes from the exposure of a database left unprotected by a third-party consultant to Yves Rocher. Researchers with VPN Mentor on Monday said they had discovered an unprotected Elasticsearch server owned by Alinet, which provides consulting services to a number of large firms, not just Evochet, but other firms including IBM, Salesforce, Sephora and Lebutin. The server in question, though, contained data about international cosmetics and beauty brand Evochet, as well as exposing full personal identifiable information of millions of Evochet customers. The biggest impacts felt by Alizet, its client Yves Rocher and the retail company's end customers, researchers said in a security alert post on Monday. It added, the Alinet leak has wider reaching consequences than the impact on individual customers. The data breach impacts clients who place their trust in the company to protect their sensitive information. One concern is that there may be other unsecured databases and applications that haven't been discovered yet. Neither Alinet nor Yvoshe have responded to a request for comment, but we will continue to request comment from them. What we do understand at the moment is that the data primarily related to Canadian customers of Yvoshe, although it's believed that other nationalities are involved too, and the data leaked includes first and last names, phone numbers, email addresses, date of birth, and zip postal codes. In addition, the researchers who found this data were able to view records of more than 6 million customer orders for Evochet. Each order was linked to a unique customer ID, and researchers were able to use this customer ID to then tie this with the leaked personal data records. They said that for each order, we were able to view the transaction amount, the currency used, the delivery date and the location of the store where the order was placed. The order records also included the full name of the employee who processed each order along with their employee ID. The data on the server also exposed internal information about Evochet itself including statistics describing store traffic, turnover and order volumes, product descriptions and the ingredients for over 40,000 retail products together with product prices and relevant offer codes. Finally, the researchers were able to access an API interface for an application created by Alinet for Evochet. While the application appears to have been created to be used by Evochet employees rather than customers, it is linked to databases 
obtaining customers' home addresses and purchase histories. Given what we know about this information, it would certainly be sufficient for identity theft. If we get any further information on this data breach from Yvoshe, we will of course bring it to you in a future edition of the GDPR Weekly Show. We should say that we did receive notice on September the 4th that Yvoshe had now protected this database and that it was no longer possible for unauthorized people to access any of the contents of the database. You're listening to the GDPR Weekly Show with your host, Keith Budden. While Brexit has been occupying the headlines here in the UK, several newspapers picked up on the fact that, allegedly, Boris Johnson and his advisor Dominic Cummings have been working on a plan to harvest user data from the .gov.uk websites and bring that data together to form patterns of usage and also to try and identify for example, uh, geographic areas within the country, socio-demographic groups within the country. Users were looking at different sections of the UK website and so building personality profiles, effectively, of those users. And the Information Commissioner has picked up on this and we understand that the Information Commissioner's Office, the ICO, has reminded the government of its responsibilities under GDPR and that GDPR applies to the government just as much as it does to anyone else and that they need to be careful on this information that they are gathering because A, make sure that any WK website makes it clear to users that data may be used in this way and our personal belief at the moment is that lots of WK websites don't do that and also that they could demonstrate a reason, a legitimate reason, of why they needed to be able to take that data. For their part, the government have said that all the data will be anonymised and that it won't be possible to identify any single individual's trends or data from the data that's been submitted. From minutes and emails that have been linked to the press, they appear to reveal that the Prime Minister and his most senior aide Dominic Cummings, have called for civil servants to share data about usage of their divisions of the .gov.uk website in order to inform Brexit preparations. The leaks also indicate that the government is seeking to accelerate adoption of Verify, a digital identified platform for public services, as parts of plans to transform the ways citizens interact with the government. On August the 19th, Boris Johnson told the government's EU Exit Operations Committee that the Government Digital Service, GDS, had been tasked with developing, in cooperation with others, a digital identity accelerated implementation plan and that he would ask all of the civil service to engage in that work urgently. Boris Johnson added that GDS is also turning gov.uk into a platform to allow targeted and personalised information to be gathered, analysed and fed back actively to support key decision making. We should make it clear that it's not at all clear at the moment what kind of data the government plans to harvest from the public facing websites or indeed how that data may be used. But Boris Johnson appears keen to increase the number of people signing up for verify accounts. He said the greater the volume of data structured through personalised ID, the more impact the outcome. 
steps that government can take to increase the volume now whilst continuing to deliver critical services must be looked at, he said. Now, GDS already uses cookies and Google Analytics to monitor how users arrive at the site, the pages they visit and what they click on. A spokesperson for the ICO told us that people should be able to make informed choices about the way their data is used. That's why organisations have to ensure they process personal information fairly, legally and transparently. When that doesn't happen, the ICO will step in and take action. For the government, a spokesperson for the civil service said, across the industry it is normal for organisations to look at how their websites are used to make sure they provide best possible service. Individual government departments currently collect anonymised user data when people use gov.uk. The government digital service is working on a project to bring this anonymous data together to make sure people can access all the services they need as easily as possible. No personal data is collected at any point during the process and all activity is fully compliant with our legal and ethical obligations. Check us out on Facebook. While we, of course, encourage all companies and organisations to comply with the requirements of GDPR, it's important that companies and organisations aren't overzealous. And the Manchester Evening News this week picked up on a story which would seem to indicate that maybe some schools in the Greater Manchester area are taking GDPR a bit too far. The story broke with the name that Harry Slavotislavek cannot have his surname on his schoolbook, not because you might think because of its difficulty of pronunciation, or at least I find it difficult to pronounce, apologies Harry, but because of GDPR. And so on his schoolbooks he was told he couldn't have his surname, but instead would be known as Harry too. His mum says that she's confused and says that her son's classmates have taken to calling him Harry too because of teachers' fears over GDPR. New Hay Community Primary School have branded Harry Slavakis-Savalek with a numeral so they can differentiate between him and another boy also called Harry. The Rochdale School says it does not use surnames at all on children's workbooks. It says that it is complying with the GDPR regulations because it wants to make sure surnames aren't on books so that children can't be identified when books are taken out of the classroom, for example, during parents' evenings. But Harry's mum, Tanya, says she's checked with the ICO and has been advised that the policy is not necessary. The silly rule has said has led to the name sticking and Tanya says classmates now call her son Harry too. He even got a Christmas card from another boy which said to Harry too from Jack too. Tanya said. They're taking away his identity. Well, we have to say that we agree with Tanya in this. There's nothing in GDPR that would require a school not to put a child's surname on a textbook, on on a workbook or textbook. And ironically, we've seen the cover of one of the books in question. And as she says that the class is Miss Riley. So presumably the school is saying that under GDPR it's fine to put the teacher's surname but not the children's surname is clearly just ridiculous and a bit of um, overzealous application of the GDPR requirements. Tanya said that she'd eventually received a letter from the local education authority, Rochdale Council, clarifying the situation. Rochdale Council Information Governance Unit told Tanya 
The school has made the decision to not put surnames on children's workbooks as these books are visible to others at parents' evenings when books are out in the classroom and contain personal information relating to children. The school has taken this decision to ensure compliance with GDPR and reduce the risk of a data breach occurring going forward. You also stated that your child has been called Harry too within the classroom verbally by a teacher. Although this is not directly related to GDPR, we have raised this issue with the school's head teacher. The head teacher has spoken to members of staff regarding this as it's certainly not their policy or indeed their practice not to use surnames when talking to children in school. Children's surnames are sometimes used when talking about and to children and at no point is it their intention for children to lose their identity. Tanya thought the problem had been resolved last year when the teacher placed a sticker on Harry's book to cover over the number two. But when the schoolboys started year two this week, he returned home once again with an exercise book scrawled with the name Harry Two. I've complained to the school and the council, nothing has changed, Tanya says. I've phoned the information commissioner, asking him to get GDPR for a child to use their own surname, and they say it isn't and they can't understand why. It doesn't make any sense. I do like the school, but it's this silliness you feel you've been fobbed off. I'm not saying all children should use their surname, but I've given permission for my son to use his. Tanya adds, I understand it's come from a good place and I love the school, but it's affecting my son. He has said, why am I Harry 2 and not Harry 1? The school says it's just because he's lower down the register. So what happens if another child called Harry comes and he's higher up the register than my son? Will my son then stop being Harry 2 and become Harry 3? Tanya also believes that Harry has been referred to by his number by teachers while in class. Harry thought that was his name because they were saying, Harry 2, come and get your book. And so it's obviously totally wrong, this scenario. It just shouldn't have been allowed to happen. We've approached the New Hay Community Primary School for comment, but we've not received comment at the time that we're recording this article. For their part, we did get a statement from Rochdale Council who said the policy was in place to safeguard children. However, the number system has been scrapped following feedback from the parents. They said we're working with the school to adopt a more common sense approach. So hopefully that issue has been resolved. But here's a call out to Tanya and to any other parents in other schools, if your children are being called by their Christian name and then just a numeral rather than their name, and teachers say that it's because of GDPR, please do pull them up on it. It's not necessary. And if they won't take action, then please do let us know and we will gladly call them out on the GDPR Weekly Show. You're listening to the GDPR Weekly Show with your host, Keith Budden. European privacy campaigner Matt Srems has filed a fresh batch of strategic complaints at a number of tech giants, including Amazon, Apple, Netflix, Spotify and YouTube. Matt has filed the complaints via his non-profit privacy and digital rights organisation, NOIB, and they relate to how the services respond to subject data access requests as per the relevant GDPR rules. Article 15 of Europe's GDPR, General Data Protection Regulation, provides for a right of access by the data subject to information held on them and ordinarily gives the company or organisation of whose request is made 30 days to supply all the information that the organisation holds on the person making the data subject access request. 
In his complaints, he contends that all of these technical firms are structurally deeply violating this basic right because he says that having built automated systems to respond to data access requests, which are being tested by NOIB, failed to provide the user with all the relevant information that the user was legally entitled to. NOIB says that they tested eight companies in all in eight different countries in Europe and says it found that none of the services provided a 100% satisfactory response. It's filed formal complaints with the Austrian Data Protection Authority against the eight, which also include music and podcast platform SoundCloud, sports streaming service DAZN, and video on-demand platform Flimit. Now it's noticeable that a couple of these companies, in particular Apple and YouTube, of course, primarily come under the Irish Information Commissioner's Office, so it's presumed that the Austrian ICO will pass these inquiries over to the Irish ICO, who will know to add them to the list of items they're already looking at against Apple and YouTube. Matt says that he has filed the complaints on behalf of 10 users, as per Article 80 of GDPR, which enables data subjects to be represented by a non-profit association such as NOIB. NOIB kindly provided us with a table of the information and responses that they'd received so that we could see for ourselves what the results were. And I'm just going to very quickly run through them. For Amazon Prime, they responded within time, but they only gave part of the data which was available. It was the contention of NOIB that some of the data was unintelligible and they didn't provide all of the information. Noid point out that Amazon are based in Luxembourg and that the maximum penalty that could be imposed would be 6.3 billion euros. Apple Music, they responded in time. They provided some but not all of the raw data. The data was intelligible but again not all of it. And again they didn't provide all the background information. For Apple Music based in Ireland, the maximum penalty is potentially 8 billion euros. For DAZN, they didn't meet any of the requirements. DAZN are based in the United Kingdom, so they fall under the UK ICO. They didn't respond in time. They didn't provide raw data. The data was not intelligible and they didn't provide any background information. So they basically just failed. And the ICO will no doubt investigate DAZN now and DAZN potentially could be faced with a penalty of anything up to 20 million euros. At the other extreme, Flimit, who are based in Austria, provided all the information that was requested, all within time, all intelligible, and so they were the only one of the eight to actually meet all of the requirements. Netflix responded within the 30 days. Their data was fully intelligible, but they didn't provide all of the raw data, and they didn't provide all of the background information, but it should be said they did provide quite a majority of the raw data and the background information. Netflix fall under the Netherlands ICO and the maximum penalty that should be imposed on them is 415 million euros. SoundCloud, like DOZN, didn't meet any of the requirements. They didn't reply in time. They didn't reply with sufficient raw data. The data was not intelligible and they didn't provide any background information. They're based under the German ICO and they could potentially face a penalty of 20 million euros. Spotify did rather well. They responded within the 30 days. They provided the majority of the raw data. The data was, on the whole, intelligible, but they didn't provide all the background information. Spotify came under the Swedish ICO, and their maximum penalty would be 163 million euros. 
And then finally, YouTube. YouTube responded in time. They provided all the raw data, but the data was not all intelligible, and they didn't provide any of the background information. Now, YouTube come under the Irish ICO, and their potential penalty, maximum penalty, would be 3.87 billion euros. Now, we're not proposing for one moment that any of these companies are likely to get the maximum penalty under this query, with the possible exception of SoundCloud, because SoundCloud just didn't respond at all. And clearly that's not allowable under GDPR, and so one hopes that they would up their game rather quickly. So we've asked Noib to keep us updated on the progress of their class action, their request here, and we will keep you updated as we receive news from them on how this is progressing and what action the, all the various information commissioners across Europe are taking against each of the big eight that are based in their jurisdictions. You're listening to the GDPR Weekly Show with your host, Keith Budden. One of the unknowns under GDPR at the moment is what level of compensation individuals might be able to claim for distress and other damages resulting from companies failing to comply with all the requirements of GDPR. However, there has been some guidance in the last month or so from Germany, where the Dresden Court of Appeal has decided on claims for damages under Article 2 of GDPR with regard to minor violations of GDPR. The defendant, the provider of a social network, had deleted a post from the plaintiff and suspended the plaintiff's user account for three days. The plaintiff asserted inter alia material and non-material claims for damages under Article 82 of GDPR. Having considered the evidence before them, the Court of Appeal dismissed the asserted claims under Article 82 of GDPR. Now, just to remind you, Article 82, Paragraph 1 of GDPR provides that, and I quote, any person who has suffered material or non-material damage as a result of an infringement of GDPR shall have the right to receive compensation from the controller or processor for the damage suffered. End quote. In this case, the Court of Appeal ruled that the requirements of Article 82, Paragraph 1 of GDPR were not fulfilled. First, the Court of Appeal held that the deletion of the plaintiff's post and the suspension of his user account did not constitute an infringement of the mandatory provisions of GDPR. It noted that the defendant's processing activities in connection with the provision of the social network and its functions were justified by the plaintiff's consent under Article 6 of GDPR, which was granted by accepting the defendant's terms of use. The Court of Appeal did, however, not address the question of whether the acceptance of the defendant's terms of use by the plaintiff constituted lawful consent in the meaning of GDPR. Second, the Court of Appeal stated that the suspension of the account did not constitute a damage in the meaning of Article 82 of GDPR, as not even the loss of personal data as such constituted a damage. In the view of the Court of Appeal, the three-day suspension constituted only a minor violation. The Court of Appeal found that claims for damages under Article 82 of GDPR may not be asserted for only minor violations. 
The talk will put knowledge that there have been arguments that in order to have a deterrent effect, minor GDPR violations should also generally be regarded as sufficient to trigger claims of damages under Article 82 for the persons affected. This view is supported by Recital 146 to GDPR, which provides that, and I quote, the controller or processor should compensate any damage which a person may suffer as a result of processing that infringes GDPR. The concept of damage should be broadly interpreted in the light of the case law of the Court of Justice in a manner which fully reflects the objectives of GDPR. Data subjects should receive full and effective compensation for the damage they have suffered. End of quote. However, the Court of Appeal ruled that Article 82, Paragraph 1 of GDPR should not be interpreted in a manner that claims for damages are already triggered where the person affected only subjectively perceives inconvenience without suffering any serious impairment of their self-image or their own reputation. Otherwise, unconditional claims for damages would be created. That said, according to the Court of Appeal, any violation of a GDPR provision affecting a large number of people in the same way and constituting an expression of deliberate, unlawful and large-scale commercialisation could justify a different decision. The deletion of a certain user post and the suspension of a user account in the present case were, however, precisely the opposite of a commercialisation activity by a defendant and as such activities instead hinder commercialisation. This is an interesting decision because whilst it's one decision on its own, it's going to be no doubt a precedent drawn upon, particularly that damages can't be claimed for minor GDPR violations. Now, where the interest will lie in cases coming forward in the next few months, no doubt, will be where the line falls between what is a minor GDPR violation and what is a major one. Now, the Court of Appeal here have already indicated that in one case it depends on the number of people affected, and that's clear, but one would hope that they'd have concern with the volume or value of the data that was affected too, but they don't appear to have taken that into effect in this case. So to say, it's one piece of case law. There's precious little case law for most of GDPR at the moment, so this one will be filed away for people to use in the future, no doubt. But it'd be interesting to see what the view of other courts around Europe is as cases come before them under Article 82, and where the line is drawn, as I say, between major and minor, and therefore what can be sought to be conversation and what can't. And no doubt, particularly, those lawyers who previously have been ambulance chasers and are now GDPR chasers will be watching this case and evaluating this decision with some interest. And if we get any feedback from any lawyer in the UK, we will, of course, bring it to you in a future episode of the GDPR Weekly Show. You're listening to the GDPR Weekly Show with your host, Keith Budden. So that brings us to the end of this week's episode of the GDPR Weekly Show. I hope you found it useful. I hope you found it entertaining. Please do let me know. Let me have your feedback by sending an email to podcast.insurety.co.uk. You can find out more about us at Insurety at www.insurety.co.uk. And I look forward to speaking to you again, same time, same place, next week. Have a good week, everybody, and remember to keep your data safe. Check us out on Facebook. 
The GDPR Weekly Show is an insurability production. Follow us on Facebook at www.facebook.com slash insurity.